get this, this time to share some of our history uh, in Bozeman with this group of young people, mostly young. I see a few older ones in here. And it was kind of pleasant to be greeted at the door by Gail. Uh, he and I go way back with the Bobcat Track and Field Association. And uh, my family, over about a 12-year period, had eight members of the family were on the track team here at MSU. So Gail and I have some connections and long meetings over the years. Uh, thank you for the kind words. And in the prayer, he asked me if I'd feel uncomfortable if he prayed for me. <clears throat> and I said no. And uh, uh, I welcome prayer. Uh, last December, I lost a leg. And I didn't think I was going to make it through it. But I had a lot of prayer chains out there that were praying for me. So um, I got a new leg in uh, February. I told a friend that I got it on Amazon, <coughs> <laughs> which was a mistake. <laughs> because within two weeks, she told about everybody in Bozeman that I got this leg on Amazon. Well, that wasn't the truth. But I did have it made in Bozeman. So everything was done in Bozeman. Um, one of the first things that happened in a community like Bozeman, when people started moving here, especially when the wives got here, is they started churches. Churches and schools, which were very, very important, where they came from back east, and they brought that with them here. Uh, how many of you have one something like this, an atlas? Great. This, this, is, this is my travel Bible. And I don't know how many of these I've gone through, and I make notes in it, places I go. I hate to go in a straight line someplace, and I hate to go on the interstate, and so I'm always wandering off somewhere and discovering new things. So I'm glad to see that many of you have this. I'm going to start talking. Well, let me just say a little bit about myself. Um, I'm from the Harleton area. I'm a fourth-generation rancher. And I spent uh, all my life uh, in the outdoors. Um, I like to call it the Big Sky Cathedral. I love sunsets, sunrises. And uh, the ranch was purchased in 1908. And it's now in the uh, fifth generation of management with my grandkids being sixth generation ownership. And you don't get fifth generation management unless a fourth generation gets out of the way. So that's what I did. And so I was happily retired, and uh, we have several rental units, so uh, that took my time, and I volunteered and did lots of stuff. I'm involved in Kiwanis, and, but I spent about 30 years involved with the museum in Harleton and the Bear Family Museum in Martinsdale. Anybody here been to the Bear Museum? Okay, a few. That's, that's a great, great place to go for uh, a Saturday trip or something. Uh, yesterday was my, uh, my wife and I's 43rd wedding anniversary. Thank you. <clears throat> I thought we'd done really well. And this morning I saw some old friends from Harlow at Perkins, where Gail sees me occasionally. And uh, uh, this, this year was her 67th anniversary. So the two of us are kind of messing up the, the national average. It seems like. I've got three grown kids, uh, one family in New Zealand, one family in Kentucky, and one family here. We've got six grandkids. 
all in school now. The youngest grandkid just started kindergarten <laughs> earlier this week. Um, like I said, I was involved in museums for 30 plus years, and by chance I ended up at the Gatlin History Museum and uh, loving that job. Though there's a lot more administration that I would like to uh, have to take care of. I'm going to start just briefly talking about geological time. You know, you were talking about going to the Beartooths, and uh, if you hike up in the mountains, uh, and you'll see uh, fossilized things, you'll see imprints of uh, sea creatures. That's because this was all an inland sea at one time, before the mountains were formed. <clears throat> so uh, uh, just kind of look around you when you're up in these areas, <clears throat> and you can uh, uh, understand that Everything around here was flat at one time. Uh, Yellowstone National Park. How many have been to Yellowstone? Awesome. Uh, when you're in the center of the park, you're in the caldera. And do you know how far molten lava is away from the, the top of the caldera? It's two miles. It's not very far. So uh, that is an interesting area. And you've been there, so we won't talk much about that. How many have been to Quake Lake? Great. Uh, we had a lady at the museum a couple weeks ago that's a survivor of Quake Lake. Her mother was actually killed, and she's written a couple books uh, that we have at the museum. Uh, interesting story. Glad to see some of you are there, have been there. Glacier Lake Missoula. How many are familiar with that? A few. If you ever see a book about Glacier Lake Missoula or a film, um, it is a fascinating story about how the Columbia River uh, was formed. And um, um, take, a, take some time to, to read about that. Talk a little bit about Montana. Uh, there's been some extremes across Montana. What's the coldest it's been in Montana? Anybody have any idea? In 1954. Without windshield. 1954, it was minus 70 degrees in Rogers Pass. Good. And uh, what's the warmest it's been in Montana? Hmm? 117 degrees in Glendive in 1893 and Medicine Lake in 1937. So we do have extremes here. And Montana is the only state with three river drainages. We have the Columbia River drainage going from the Continental Divide west. We have the uh, uh, Missouri and Mississippi drainage going into the Gulf of Mexico. And then we have what's the Saskatchewan River system that starts at by in St. Mary's River in Glacier National Park and flows northeast to Hudson Bay and then into the North Atlantic. Um, Native Americans, they passed down their history with oral histories, and this has been passed down for hundreds of generations. And uh, sometimes they'll write the stories, draw the stories on a, a leather hide of some sort, and uh, that is passed down through generations. How many of you have heard of the Anzic child? Over in Wilsall area in 1966, a burial was found 
and it had about 100 Clovis points. And the Clovis area uh, culture was one of the first of the New World. And the little boy was, uh, uh, the skull was tested and they de <clears throat> determined it was 12,700 years old. This burial site is the oldest discovered burial site in North America. So the Native Americans have been around here <clears throat> for a long time. In about 1720 to 1760, horses and guns reached this area. Previously, hunting was done um, with spears, bows, uh, at laddle, those kind of things, and buffalo jumps. How many here have been to the buffalo jump at Logan? Okay, quite a few. That was a very important part of the early uh, Native American history. If you haven't been there, uh, make a point of going out there at some point. Thomas Jefferson was elected president in 1801. The United States at that time was an experiment in democracy. He wanted a uh, ordinary nation full of ordinary people to own their own land and be successful in agriculture. And he wanted us to beat the, he wanted the US to beat the British to the west coast so we controlled all the travel routes between the east coast and the west coast. And he wanted to move the Native Americans west to the plains off of the Mississippi uh, River bottom. Uh, so there was room there for the settlers to move west and uh, settle in those areas. The government felt it could take land away from the native people for the economic benefit of the nation. How many of you know about Manifest Destiny? Quite a few. Well, that was much older than America, and that, came, that philosophy came from uh, the Europeans. And um, those ideals, they thought, would define our civilization, and those ideals were agriculture, private enterprise, and Christianity. And anybody that didn't agree with that, they, they felt that the mission was so important that it justified taking the land away from the people, even killing people, to make room for uh, the settlers moving west. The Native Americans was a prime example of these people. In 1803, the Louisiana Purchase was bought. $15 million, 800,000 square miles. And the money was raised by the US Secretary of the Treasury, a man by the name of Albert Gallatin. And that's where the Gallatin name showed up when Lewis and Clark came through here. But Jefferson had no idea what they'd bought. So he put together this team, uh, Lewis and Clark, and um, put some money together to fund this expedition. They left St. Louis May 14, 1804. On July 27th of 1805, Meriwether Lewis stood on the hills um, north of uh, Three Forks at, at the mouth of the canyon where the Missouri River is going north. And so that was uh, Lewis and Clark's first foray into this area. If you ever get a chance to visit Headwater State Park, do so. There's some interesting signage and those kind of things in that area. And as you're driving to Headwater State Park, you see a two-story building. 
uh, log building on the right. And that is uh, a hotel that was in Gallatin City too. The first Gallatin City was built on the west side of the Missouri, just at the mouth of the canyon. One of the things that happened was there was a couple babies got sick and the river gorged up and um, with ice and whatnot was flooding and they couldn't cross the river uh, to take these babies to some medical care that was farther east and uh, both the babies died. And that was one of the reasons, one of the of many reasons that they uh, moved the city. Um, Lewis and Clark reached the Pacific November 7th of 1805 and on the way back, Clark camped about four miles east of Bozeman. Uh, do you know where Fort Ellis was? Some of you know? Okay. Well, uh, in the, if, you, if you go under the interstate on the frontage road going east, about two miles east of there, there's a, uh, a big wooden sign and then there's a monument and they talk about uh, the Bozeman Trail, uh, the Lewis and Clark camp, which was about a mile east of there at the mouth of Kelly Canyon, and uh, they talked about Fort Ellis. They were back in St. Louis in September of 1806, so it was a very interesting time and a very interesting trip. Um, as Lewis and Clark were returning, they met 11 different groups of trappers that were heading up uh, into this area. and. A couple of their uh, Lewis and Clark expedition people actually left the expedition at that time, joined up with some of the trappers and came back. And one of those was John Coulter. Uh, and there's stories about his experience up here. Beaver hides, that's what they were after. And they were being used for hats in Europe and in the East Coast. And the beavers in Europe were gone. They trapped them all out. The beavers in the East Coast were gone. <clears throat> they had uh, trapped them out. And it took about 30 years, and the uh, beaver in Montana were pretty much gone. In 1832, the first steamboat came to Montana. Well, it wasn't actually Montana yet. And they were used to haul the furs out. In 1860, uh, the first boat came as far up as Fort Benton. And Fort Benton is known as the um, oldest town in Montana. And they had other types of boats. They had flat boats, and they had keel boats, and they built rafts to get the, the uh, hides down the river. When the beaver declined, the trappers turned to bison hides, and the factories in the east were beginning to manufacture uh, products and goods in mass quantities and to power their stuff, their equipment, they needed these belts. And so the bison hides were being used to manufacture these belts to run all this equipment. In 1870, there was 1.5 million bison hides shipped out of Colorado. In 1878, the southern herds were pretty much gone and the hunters moved into the Montana Territory. By 1883, hardly a bison in this area could be found. <clears throat> and it was also the main food for the Indians. And now they had nothing to eat. They began to depend on the Indian agents for food. 
Now, Nelson's story um, went to Texas in 1866 and bought a thousand animals and trailed them to Montana. And he would not have done that if there had still been a lot of bison around because he went down there with the idea to bring those back up here, fatten them up in the Paradise Valley, sell them to the miners, and sell them to the people in towns. And he wouldn't have done that if there hadn't been an economic reason for doing that. So the bison were pretty much gone in this area <clears throat> by 1866. So now we get to the gold. In 1850, uh, the Deer Lodge area, they discovered uh, some gold. And then Granville and James Stewart uh, discovered gold just a little bit later near Gold Creek, which is about uh, 30, 30 miles from the Deer Lodge area. And in July of 1862, on an unnamed tributary of the Beaverhead River, later named Grasshopper Creek because of all the grasshoppers, uh, they found uh, gold, <clears throat> and this was named Bannock City, and it was in Idaho. In Alder Gulch, in 1863, they discovered gold, and Alder Gulch is the area uh, where Virginia City is, and it goes two or three mi <clears throat> miles up the valley uh, to the, I guess you would say, uh, southeast, and then it runs down the valley for about another 10 miles into the, uh, until it opens up out in the valley. By the fall of 1863, there was 10,000 people living in that valley. In 1864, July 14th, Last Chance Gulch, they found gold, and now that's called, area is called Helena. Now the Gallatin Valley had been promised to the Blackfeet Indians in the Laramie Treaty of 1851. In 1855, it was changed to declare the Gallatin Valley and the headwaters of the Missouri were common Indian hunting grounds for the next 99 years where all nations of Indians may enjoy equal and uninterrupted privileges of hunting, fishing, gathering fruit, grazing animals, curing meat, and dressing robes. That means this was common hunting ground up until 1954. That treaty, like many others, disappeared in a hurry. Possibilities of the Gallatin Valley were discovered during the gold mining era starting in the early 60s. As people traveled through this area, those people understood the kind of soil that was here and the availability of water. So a lot of these people continued on to Virginia City or the Bannock area, and then they uh, unloaded or left the people there and they uh, came back and settled in this area. I mentioned that the first settlement was Galton City. And they actually had a plan to build wharfs along the Missouri River at the mouth of the canyon so the steamboats could come up there with these goods. They didn't realize the extensive falls in the Great Falls area. And it's possible they were thinking about port portaging this stuff around those falls and then putting it on other boats and bringing it farther up. But that never, <clears throat> never caught on. Montana was declared a territory on May 26, 1864. 
three men, John Bozeman, Elliot Rouse, and William Beale or William Bell, agreed to lay out a town site in the eastern part of the valley. The settlement's first name was Jacob's Crossing. Now, if you, uh, if you know where Montana Ale Works is, the building just east of there is called Jacob's Crossing. So that was the area where uh, Jacob's Crossing first was. Bozeman was established August 9, 1864. John Bozeman left to go down to the Oregon Trail around Douglas, Wyoming to get a wagon train and bring them up <clears throat> over the Bozeman Trail on the east side of the Bighorn Mountains and um, lead them up here and uh, convince them <clears throat> to settle in the um, Bozeman area. This trail was designed as a shorter way to the gold fields and I think I saw at one point it saved about 600 miles. The Oregon Trail went on to uh, the Idaho Falls area and then they would come up to Bannock and Virginia City and then go, come over to this direction. When Bozeman returned, the, now, the town had been named Bozeman in his, in his honor. The trail was closed, quick, closed quickly as the Indians were not happy and they caused many problems. All the early buildings were made out of log and the reason was they had no sawmill stuff here. Sawmill equipment had to be shipped up the Missouri to Fort Benton, freighted to here, or on the railroad to Salt Lake City, freighted up the Oregon Trail and up into this area. So it took a time to get that kind of equipment here. Some settlers were given the business lots on Main Street in Bozeman. They were given those lots for nothing if they would build a building for a business. And those people understood that the more businesses they had in downtown Bozeman, the uh, more the settlers would be willing to settle here. <coughs> settle here. These people were promoters. And for a more recent day example, the Costco, where it's at, the developers of that area gave Costco that land for nothing because they knew what was going to happen when Costco came in and other stuff started moving in. <clears throat> and that's why that's such a good development out there. John Bozeman was killed April 17, 1867, about 40 miles east of Bozeman. And he was traveling with a guy by the name of um, uh, Thomas Cover. And Thomas Cover came back and said, John Bozeman had been killed. They'd been attacked by some Blackfeet Indians. Well, Nelson's story was a little suspicious, so he sent his tracker down to find evidence of Blackfeet Indians in that area. He couldn't find any evidence. We really don't know what happened, but people uh, think uh, John Bozeman was having an affair with Thomas Cover's wife. And at that time, Bozeman had about 150 people, 14 of them were women, in a small community, hard to keep a secret. So the suspicion is that Thomas Cover actually shot John Bozeman. And where this area is, if you go past Livingston, um, past the uh, Mission Creek exit, 
And as the interstate kind of goes across the, <clears throat> the valley, you, um, uh, the interstate gets real close to uh, a cut in the hillside on the right-hand side. Just past that, there's a valley, a coulee that runs up to the right. That's the area where this, this uh, actually happened. The killing of Bozeman, purportedly by the um, uh, Blackfeet, was used as a lobbying tool to get Fort Ellis here. And Fort Ellis was started uh, in August of 1867, three miles east of Bozeman. And remember, Bozeman had 150 people. The fort brought in 400 people. And all those people had to buy their supplies, their lumber, their hay, their oats, and food, et cetera, had to be purchased from the locals. So this was a huge economic boom for Bozeman. This area was never threatened by the Indians, and some misguided citizens started a petition to close the fort and auction off the land that was on the military reservation. This reservation was approximately 30,000 acres, and it stretched from uh, the north side of the valley in the hills all the way across the valley and up on the hills in the mountains on the uh, south side of the valley. So it was, it was huge. In 1886, the fort was closed. It had been open for 19 years. There's nothing left in the area. Uh, there's been some mapping done. Uh, Dr. Tom Rust, who's a native of Bozeman, teaches history at uh, MSUB in Billings, has written a great book on the uh, uh, Fort Ellis, early days of Fort Ellis. Now, we became a territory in 1864 and became a state in 1889. What took so long? It was 25 years. Well, why it took so long is there's too many Confederates here. And the Union people said there's no way we're going to start a state and have it come under the control of the Confederates. So the Union uh, people actually sent people into Minnesota, North Dakota, uh, the Northern Tier States, and convinced people to come here into Montana and settle, so they had more votes than the Confederates. Uh, interesting lobbying effort. You gotta remember the Civil War was going on, it ended in 1865, and a lot of Confederates were here that left the, the East or the South and, uh, because uh, they didn't want to fight. And uh, the Civil War is the deadliest war in American history 750,000 men were killed. The sentiment around here when Lincoln was assassinated on April 15, 1865, stories of the Southern girls doing jigs in the street because they were happy that he had been assassinated while the rest of the North was all in mourning. Now, Bozeman population. In 1970, there was 168, and this is figures are from the Census Bureau. In 1880, we had 894 people here. In 1890, we had 2,143, and by the year 1900, we had 3,419. So Bozeman was starting to grow. Uh, after 1880, the railroad came through in 1893. 
And so that uh, enabled a lot of people to get here, travel here. Uh, in 1882, the interurban line was built. And that line went, uh, started at the depot, the Northern Pacific Depot, ran up to Peach Street, and then turned and came up uh, North Bozeman, and then uh, turned on Main Street, and went actually out to an area on 9th and came up to the Montana State University uh, where the campus is today. And uh, so we were one of the first towns in Montana that had an interurban uh, trolley line uh, in their town. We were in the running with Anaconda and Helena to be to host the state, ca <coughs> state capitol. That didn't happen. Helena got it. But we were awarded the college in 1893. Interesting about that, we were awarded the college. We had to have a site found within 90 days. And if the college started before July 1st, the government would send $18,000 under the Morrill Act, which, which is the Land Grant College Act. And uh, so there'd be some funds. And then uh, $15,000 would be sent uh, to start the extension service. No state money could be spent. So Nelson Story donated 40 acres for the university. And interesting enough, where the frog pond or duck, duck pond is, he maintained the water rights on that. And when he built his mansion in the 1880s down on Main Street, <coughs> Main Street he piped the water from there and the fall, which is about 75 feet, he was able to take the water to the third floor and he had running water in his house. Uh, the county donated 160 acres that, <coughs> that was next to this area, which was the poor farm. So they had, they had the start of the land. So they, they, they fulfilled that, uh, that problem. Then there was a rolling skating rink where the Catholic church is, and that was used as the first classroom. There was five young men and two young women who were <coughs> attending the Bozeman Academy, which was a private high school. And they were in this converted rink, and they were told they were going to be taking a 10-week college course starting April 17th rather than attending high school. So classes started, uh, they had land, and uh, these five students were not very happy. They considered this upstart college as an annex to a barber college. But anyway, those were our first students. And that was the start of the now Montana State University. And I'm gonna stop there. We got a couple minutes left. Does anybody have any questions? No questions? Yes. Pardon? Yeah, the historical society is right next door to the courthouse. And it's in an old jail. The jail was built in 1911, and uh, it operated until 1982. So it's, uh, it's an old building. And uh, I'm going to leave some stuff downstairs at the office, uh, a flyer on uh, the museum. I'm also going to leave some programs for the Montana History Conference, which will be here in about two weeks, and uh, it's going to be out the Hilton Garden Inn. So if you're interested, well, that stuff will be there. Yes? Do you know of any buried treasure in the Flathead Pass? 
in the Flathead Pass? Why, are we on a scavenger hunt or something? Uh, I don't. No. Uh, nothing that comes to my mind right now. There were, well, could be. Uh, there was a uh, sapphire mine uh, west. Um, if you set a triangle with one point on a Galton Gateway and one point on uh, um, Four Corners, the upper point would be about where there was a sapphire mine. There was an asbestos mine uh, down by Karsh Camp in the canyon. And there was uh, a big coal industry uh, down Trail Creek towards Chico. And where you turn off the interstate, that town was called Chesnut. And there was a big mine just north of there. But other than that, other than and there's really no gold was found here either. Yes? How did Montana get its name? Um, well, that, that, that came from um, uh, some Latin. And uh, see, uh, gold and silver is involved in that. And it was um, uh, named that right off the bat in the early days. Yes. Any others? Yes. Uh, yes, it was. There was quite a bit of homesteads around here. Bozeman was unusual because it was started before the railroad. And then when the railroad came through in 1883, that's when Belgrade, uh, Manhattan, Three Forks showed up. And uh, uh, the same thing with Livingston. That was started by the railroad. And uh, but before that, Bozeman's an unusual town because it started before the railroad got here. Anybody else? Yes. I'm wondering, I, I know you deal with the past, but I don't know if you dabble in the future at all. Um, so both, I've heard that this is the fastest growing county in the state currently, Gallatin is. Yes. And I, I just wonder, uh, why do you think that is, and, and where do you see Bozeman going in the next, in the next decade or two? Well, I, th I think Bozeman is going to continue to grow. Um, I, don't, I don't see uh, anything that was, would stop that. And I have a, um, some figures. Um, in 2014, Gallatin County had 97,300 people. Bozeman had 41,000. In 2010, Bozeman had 37,000. So grown at about 2,000 a year. Today's babies, uh, in 23 years when they finish college, Bozeman could be a town of 65,000, and Gallatin County could be a county of 143,000. So there, there's nothing I see in the future that would stop the growth of Bozeman. Uh, people want to move here. Um, they like the downtown, they like the area, they like everything about it. And uh, the price of housing is going to be a limiting factor, but I have no idea. Okay, looks like my time's up. Thank you very much. <laughs>